1: Hi, everyone. It's Sophia, and welcome back to Work in Progress. In the entertainment industry, there's a type of performer called a triple threat. It's someone who can act, sing, and dance all at peak quality. So if that's what a triple threat is, today's guest is more of a I don't even know how many hyphenate threat an award-winning actor, dancer, singer, choreographer, talent judge, business owner, and wellness coach, and the list goes on. We are talking about it all today with our guest, Julianne Huff. Julianne is a Utah native who started her career as a dancer. She was a fan favorite on Dancing with the Stars, who went on to win a choreography Emmy Become a judge on the show, release a number one country album, act in feature films, and found multiple companies. She even has her own wine label. Y'all, I wasn't kidding when I said she does it all. Julianne's passion in wellness, in all of its forms mental, physical, and spiritual, led her to create a company called Kinergy, which is dedicated to achieving transformation and a community of positivity. I'm so excited today to talk to her about what drives her, the many lives she's led, what brought her to where she is today, and where she thinks she's going tomorrow. Enjoy Julianne. You're on the podcast. I'm here. Finally. Hi, friend. Hi. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about this for so long. Um, and I was just laughing before we started that it's so funny to have you on because suddenly I feel weirdly formal.
0: It's so formal. I'm like, yeah. do we
1: need to like shake it out? Like yeah. <laughs> Just, like do a little Kinergy to get us going. Exactly. Well, I mean, you have so much going on with Kinergy and with all of your hosting and your acting work and your music and, and Fresh Fine Wine. I mean, there's like so much happening in your life and in your career. And I'm, I'm so amazed at how you manage to do all of this and run a production company and also be a person who really shows up for your community. And I just have a lot of questions.
0: Well, fire away because I think I have my own questions for myself. Like maybe you should
1: stop, Julian,
0: (laughs) just for five seconds and breathe. But that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm here in Nashville with family and finding that balance. So yeah.
1: That's so nice. Okay. (laughs) Well, before we get into, you know, life, career, the Julianne that people see on TV shows and billboards and things. I, I like to go back with mm-hmm. people. I like to get kind of a picture of, you know, who you were as a kid. I, I know that you were, you know, effusive and you loved to move and to dance because we've talked about it. But it, when you think about yourself as a child, is there like a moment or an age that you flash back to and you go, aww?
0: You know, I don't know why this just popped up, but I'm going to share it. I remember being around seven and being at a dance studio that I went to called Center Stage in Orem, Utah. And Mm. I remember I had this group of girlfriends and we were dancing and singing to the Spice Girls. (laughs) (laughs) and in the dance studio. And that was like our home. You know, we would go to school, we'd go straight to the dance studio and we'd be there until nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and it was just, it was just where we felt like, again, kind of what I said before, like just this safe, comfortable environment where we could be expressed. And, um, and the spice girls, I don't know why it was that, but we had these five best friends and we all had different, like we were these different characters basically. And the, I was always baby spice, obviously, okay, but, I was um, like, who were you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, let's see. We had Afton. She was posh cinnamon. She was scary spice. We had Camaro. I think she was sporty. And Ginger was, oh, who was Ginger? I can't remember her name. Oh, that's so sad. Anyway, the point is, is I just remember dancing and singing and laughing and being with my girlfriends and Mm. making up dances and being creative and just feeling the sense of home, Mm. whether it was, you know, home away from home or friends that became my family. That was always what I associated with at like seven years old, just this like spunky, creative, passionate, vibrant young girl that loved her friends and and loved to create and just had fun. I I really remember being a really fun kid at like seven years old.
1: And where do you think that creative streak came from? I mean, was it that you started dance so young or do you feel like you were born with it or perhaps dance- and, and all of that creative expression helped to cultivate something that was naturally intrinsic to who you are?
0: I think it was innately who I was because of my family. My my grandparents, for instance, on both sides were dancers and my Parents actually met in ballroom dance, um, uh, like on the ballroom dance team at their college and uh, my whole family, we just danced and, and, and my mom's an artist. So she, she, in every capacity, so she would paint with us. She would, she would make wooden swords and costumes and we would have plays on our front yard with the neighbors and it was just always about creativity and and imagination when we were kids and mm. just always playing and and my mom also put us in a bunch of things so we actually were kind of known as like the blonde Osmonds because we grew up in Utah <laughs> and we were in a family band and we would tour around in these little festivals and stuff but we were we were in music we were in dance we were in art we we were taking kung fu lessons i mean we were literally busy nonstop as kids always just put in some sort of activity and to keep us i think motivated and out of trouble but also just i think at one point my brother and i were diagnosed with ADHD or something and my mom instead of putting us on medication she was like let's just give them more activities. <laughs> and so um so yeah so we we just did a bunch of of activities and that kind of just was ingrained in us the the work ethic and the creativity.
1: Yeah. I mean it sounds it sounds idyllic. And and then also I know that there's always stuff in you know, yeah. families, and and I'm curious because there's, and I don't. I hope this doesn't sound in any way judgmental. I mean, we've talked about this, so I know you you will know. I don't mean it to be that way. Um, maybe that's sort of a, a a bumper for folks at home, but there's so much like freedom and exploration um, in the the life you're detailing. And, you know, you mentioned you grew up in in Utah and you grew up in the Mormon church. And I think for a lot of people on the outside, it feels very restricted. It And and so how how does that dichotomy play out for you as a kid? Or or do I have it a little wrong?
0: No, no, no. Well, that's the thing that's so interesting is that's why I was really shocked that I said seven years old and I saw myself with my friends and dancing and everything. Because usually when I think about my childhood, I actually think about... When I was ten years old, and I moved to London away mm-hmm. from Utah, and so the fact that I just brought that up now almost was a little like you no, know, I've I've never talked about my childhood before I was ten, and wow. really, and so the fact that you're bringing up the Mormon culture or even that bubble, I think I think what I'm remembering from that time of my life is that I was in a bubble. I didn't mm-hmm. really know what was outside of that world, and mm-hmm. so you only know what you know until you know something else. And, and so what I realized was I was the baby of five kids. And so I just, I was very expressive and loud. And I think my parents were just exhausted by the time they had me. So I got, a, I got away with a lot more than I think my older siblings. But, but when I look back at it and now I know what I know now, or even moving to London at 10 without my family and seeing mm. the bubble – that I did live in, I can see the beauty from being raised Mormon, which was all about community and service and family and connection. And then I can also see the restrictions and the the suppression and the Mm. the need to be perfect Mm. and the need to keep up with everybody else. And the keeping up with the Joneses mentality, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then of course this like spiritual significance and it's right and wrong and it's good and bad. And there is no in between, there is no color. And I Mm -hmm. realized that is there, that there's so much color and so much light outside of that bubble that I got to experience. Maybe it was more protected in maybe that viewpoint, but it was, it was more controlled really. And so Mm. now this like freedom outside of Utah, I went to London, the most like metropolitan city you could go to from Utah. And, and I was just my, my mind just exploded with like, whoa, my eyes were opened up to so much and, and possibility and people and Mm. people that didn't look like me, um, you know, blonde haired, blue eyes from Utah. It was like, no, there was diversity and, I went to a performing arts school where everyone was free to express themselves, however they identified, and it was just like, "Whoa, this is this is real life." This is you know, I'm not in this protective bubble anymore. That's quite controlled. I'm I'm Mm. out in the world, Um, but I feel very grateful that I was raised that way because I think there's part of me that has been instilled with values of support and kindness and and love and community and friendship and, and mm-hmm. always, you know, trying to, to do my best. So mm. I, I'm grateful for it as well as I'm, I'm grateful for the world as well and seeing that side of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? That, that many things can be simultaneously true, yeah. That in a way it was small and maybe there were lessons you missed and it was also really beautiful and felt really safe and mm-hmm. creative. And I, I, think, I think the coolest part about, you know, both aging and a willingness to self-interrogate is when you can see how lots of things that might seem opposing can, can all be true at the same time.
0: Oh, it's the whole, like, you can feel two things at the same time. The duality that's inside of you, Mm -hmm. Uh, the more light you experience, the more dark you experience. It's like you Mm -hmm. can hold more than one thing. And that's what's so beautiful about being human is there are so many parts of you. And Mm -hmm. to leave one part out or just to think you have to be one part is so limiting. And so, like I Mm -hmm. said, I'm, I'm grateful for all of my experiences, and they're unique and different from someone else's. And that's what makes my experience different. Mm -hmm. But it also allows me to, I don't know, just hopefully bring what I've learned and then what I'm discovering and finding that, just that balance of like, what's right for me? What's the conditioning that I've been, that's been instilled into me? And how do I like listen to it, de-layer it, deconstruct it, and then actually decide what I personally believe. And mm-hmm. so again, I'm grateful for it.
1: So I'm so curious about something, because when you talk about that, figuring out what was sort of given to you, you're like what, mm-hmm. what were you wrapped in? And then to take it apart, to deconstruct it, to, to understand what was healthy about it, what wasn't. Mm-hmm. You said something about both ADHD, and you talked about perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a big aha this year with my own sort of being raised to be a good girl, perfectionist nonsense, where I was like, oh, perfect is impossible. So actually, perfectionism means I feel like a failure all of the time.
0: Ah, it's the lowest standard you could ever yeah. have for yourself because you'll never achieve it. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it was like, that was a real gut punch. I was like, no wonder I'm so stressed out. But I'm really curious about that because When you come to terms with your stuff, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the fear of failure and all of it, you also have to come to terms with your shortcomings. You have to come Mm -hmm. to terms with the mistakes you've made. Mm -hmm. And when you choose to share about your growth in a public way, you know, you also have to, like, get real about the times that you've had blinders on or, you know, come up short or hurt someone or likewise been hurt by someone. Like, there's all this stuff Mm -hmm how do you find the process as a person who is creative and empathetic how do you find the process of cultivating that sort of empathy for yourself as you're as you're in this sort of transformative time <laughs>
0: that's such a great question and this year i've i've really discovered empathy in a way that i never had before. I always thought mm-hmm. I was an empathetic person, mm-hmm. but I found I'm, I'm a compassionate person. I could always feel for someone, but I never really put myself in their shoes, or even for myself. I could feel for my experience, but I actually mm-hmm. wasn't experiencing my experience. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also being that perfectionism type person. Even delayering that, I then went the polar opposite in the extreme of highlighting those shortcomings mm. and then judging those so harshly and and almost now re identifying me as that person. Mm. So it's it's almost like you know, you go from, at least my experiences, I went from kind of oblivion to just doing my own thing, a little bit more egocentric, doing, you know, what I needed to do for me. And then finding those shortcomings, that awareness, and then realizing oh, I don't like that part of me. But instead of embracing it, having compassion and empathy for that part of me and loving that part of me in the past, I just judged it so harshly. And then almost like doubled down on myself where mm-hmm. it was like, if I recognized that I didn't like a certain part of me, then I would, I would almost avoid it and try even harder to not be that. So Mm -hmm. then I would go back into perfectionism. Does that make sense? Yeah, (laughs) It's like that double downing um, thing. So I think this year, especially with everything that we've all gone through collectively, it was was a moment where there wasn't even time to, or there was so much time, but there wasn't time to just keep going. It was like you Mm -hmm. had to sit in it and experience it and allow it to, to do its work on its own versus you being in charge and willing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You couldn't really create a plan
0: because you couldn't plans escape went
1: out window and yeah. yeah.
0: You couldn't escape it by doing something if it was in a healthy way or not. Like mm-hmm. to <laughs> distract yourself, it was like you had to be here in it, yeah. and it was it was challenging, but also I think for a lot of people, it just was a reflection and an unearthing and an amplifying of what needed to be revealed. And,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and you can process that now.
1: Yeah. But I'm so curious about what you said, because I think these things are so connected that as, as you've looked inward, you've realized that very often you've, you've, not even experienced your experiences. And I think about that from from people like us who became performers at young ages, mm-hmm. where, you know, especially for you, so young as a dancer, um, as a performer, a performer, you're doing it, but it's choreography. You're doing it, but it's a scene. I, I have experiences that I look back on in my early 20s that don't feel real to me. I feel like I was filming a scene from my TV show, not like it was my life. I feel really okay. disconnected from it. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe that's a coping mechanism of disassociation or or maybe it's a thing I learned that sort of became a defense mechanism, who knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I I wonder if in this time, as you said, where we've all had to sit in it, do you look back on some of your your childhood as this really sort of elite, performer. I mean, you talk about moving to London to go to a performing arts school at 10 without your family. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Derek was there, but what is that experience like as a kid to pick Mm -hmm. up and be like, see ya, I'm going to learn a new (laughs) skill.
0: Well, that's, I mean, that was what the, the like first initial thing was, was like, you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes when you learn too much, you mm. know too much for your own good. <laughs> mm. And so sometimes that naivety is is quite beautiful if you can hold on to the, like, if you do have a safety and a protection around you. But I was so naive in the fact that, like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to London. Woo, I'm going to go dance. and But I didn't realize at the time, like, I would be basically waking up going to school from 7 a.m. in central London. So I'd take a train an hour and a half to to school every day at 10 years old. Um, I'd get to school and I I would be at school all day until 4.30. I would travel back on the train. I'd have dinner. I'd go to practice from 7 to 11 p.m. And that was five days a week. And then I'd have lessons every Saturday from... 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., have a break for dinner and then rehearse until 11. And then I'd have competitions somewhere, either in the UK or around Europe on Sundays. And then I would do it all again. And so my, like I, I trained myself so hard to dissociate Mm -hmm. that I, it, I just did it and I had willpower and energy Mm -hmm. and people just, you know, pushing me harder and harder and harder. And I, and I did it and I achieved it, but I learned along the way that the harder I worked, the more I won, Mm -hmm. the more I was not elusive, but like a little mysterious. Like people didn't really know me. Mm -hmm. Um, when I went back to school, I'd be in fake tan and nails and I'd try to tell them, but they didn't quite understand it. The more I felt like people loved me and more people you know, admired my hard work and my my winning and all that. And so the performer in me really got strong. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that transpired in my life, you know, moving to Los Angeles. And, and I, I could always will myself into working harder, being, you know, the hardest working person in the room, or I could always figure my way out. If I wasn't the most talented, I could figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. And And then eventually I just got so burnt out and so exhausted. And I was like, I don't, I don't even really know who this person is because this person I created as my, my, my mask so that I could survive on the inside, but I really (laughs) didn't know that person. So, you know, years went by and I finally was like, I gotta, I gotta like figure out what's happening here and de this performer, this, this survivor, which I've, you know, been so grateful for. It got me mm-hmm. to where I'm at and I wouldn't change it, but, but boy, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <I feel laughs> and, you. and I'm just now, I'm, I'm just now like coming to this place of like content and content mm-hmm. used to scare me. It was okay. like, I don't ever want to be content and feeling content. Now I'm like, wow. I have no personality. <laughs> but I but I'm like, no, it's just it's just the personality that I thought I had that was expected of me because that's what I showed everyone else. And now I'm yeah. just calm and content and boring. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But I actually really enjoy it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, overachieving it's just a state of hyper arousal. And so is trauma. Like, yeah. it's it's a very intense place to be. And in my own way, I really relate to what you're saying because as a kid, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I, I grew up on a set where it was very clearly communicated to me that if me or anyone else didn't show up and do our jobs perfectly, 200 people wouldn't get to eat. Yeah. And the amount of pressure when you're told that it's all on you rather than, hey, you're a part of this team mm-hmm. and, and you know, you show up and help other people show up. The pressurization of performance and I think especially the way it gets put on young women because mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're expected to be perfect and we're expected to be good and we're also expected to be sort of complicit in the ways that we're fetishized and all of these things that we don't even know are happening then. But now we look back and it's like, wait, what was Mm -hmm. happening? I got really good at showing up to work no matter what, no matter if I was sick, no matter if Mm -hmm. someone in my family was sick, no matter if there was a funeral, no matter if there was a wedding, no no matter Mm -hmm. because nobody cared. Mm -hmm. It didn't Mm -hmm. matter to anyone else. If me or anyone else had a life, it mattered that Mm -hmm. we showed up and we did the job no matter what and we weren't in the way. And so it's interesting for me now as an adult in the kinds of supportive friendships like we have in our community where sometimes something will come up and, you know, one of our girlfriends will say, why why didn't you tell me about this? And I don't even think to because Mm -hmm. I don't have an experience of there being room for me to share what's going on in my life. Because I have to do my job, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm relearning how to let people support me mm-hmm. in the way that I like to support other people, Others. and it feels insane.
0: It, it feels selfish. It feels it feels icky because we're icky not used to it. uncomfortable. super uncomfortable. Yeah, I understand that. In fact, I I had a realization while I was running actually by your house, (laughs) that's my morning run. Um, and I was running and I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I've shared a lot publicly actually. And Mm -hmm. part of me is like, I don't want to share as much anymore because that's Mm -hmm. personal. And those are things to me that are just for me. But in the past, I was more comfortable sharing with the public of, with people that I didn't know mm-hmm. because those people supported me. I'm doing quotes with my fingers, <laughs> supported me and loved me and admired me. And so I didn't feel comfortable or intimate with my own friends or family because I never shared anything with them mm-hmm. that I would share with people that I didn't even really know, but Mm. it felt safe to me because there was distance. Mm. And so this intimacy of like, wow, I feel like I've had to do everything on my own, but is that also been my own defense mechanism when people have actually been there? And that was a huge realization of I've shared so much to people that actually don't really know me, but that's because I'm like wanting the world to love me versus the people that are... Closest to me.
1: Well, I also think there's really something interesting when you're beginning to find your own relationship to self and you mm-hmm. are a perfectionist and you are a performer. I know that I experienced a phase where I was doing the work and doing the introspection and learning things and reading articles and really diving in and going, "Oh, I understand this lesson. I understand why I was in that toxic relationship in my 20s mm-hmm. and how it impacted me and how relationships like that impact women and so I can share my lesson about that because it'll be good for other women." Yes. And what it, what it let me do was say, "Look at me, I'm healing, I'm vulnerable." But I was being vulnerable about the thing I had figured out and and packaged up and that was like back was like perfection. that chapter in the book is done. <laughs> and so now I can talk about that chapter. It's so much more difficult to be open about what we're processing in, in real the time. Moment. Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, that's Duh. the
0: whole like not experiencing it in the moment, but mm-hmm. reflecting on it afterwards because I'm I'm good now.
1: That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's
0: exactly right.
1: Do you think Cause I, I can't help but think, and it's funny, it skips a whole section of my questions because I have so many more about like <laughs> childhood and performing and how you guys came up and whatever. But but this this is what's coming up for me now is in a way, because I can feel myself getting like a little tense. And and you you're you're doing like a little bit of a thing sometimes where you're like your arm is going out and I, I see you. I I know the way you like to move <laughs> when you like have a feeling. And it makes me think about Kinergy. It makes me think mm-hmm. about you creating this process, it's a dance class, but really what it feels like to me sometimes is like a dropping into my body, a physical empowerment in my body, an exorcism of bad energy from my body. Do do you think that all this learning is what led you to take your, one of your elite skills and turn it into a modality for shaking all this shit out for lack of a better term. Yes.
0: And, and honestly, you (laughs) articulated that so beautifully. I just got chills because when we talk about like, you know, analyzing and, and understanding what's happening in Mm -hmm. that like mental capacity, it's beautiful, but it's, it's kind of an after the fact thing. And I recognized early on that through my dancing if i didn't if i didn't move my body in an in an intuitive expressive way i would have been a very different person growing up because i had mm. so much anxiety and depression and trauma in my like years in london that if i didn't have that outlet of expression ooh i don't know where i'd be today but mm. thank goodness i had it because it allowed me to really sh- dive in and feel the experience even if i didn't quite know how to articulate it. Mm. And so that's what Kinergy is. That's where it came from. I was like, wow, there's so much healing that I've done in this like internal introspective work of connecting to myself, mm. delayering these conditions and these systems that I think have been placed on me and probably everyone else in the world, but I'm just ex- expressing my own experience mm. and allowing myself to trust myself. Mm. versus relying on others to tell me how I'm supposed to feel. And that movement and the breath and the imagination and the expression, it helped me with shame. It helped me with like taboo, you know, beliefs. It helped me connect more to the power of a a woman
1: versus
0: Mm. the expectation of a little girl. Mm. And, and that is what, Dropped me into this like powerful, blunt woman mm. that is still kind, is still generous, but has boundaries that has love for myself. Mm. Like the, the person that I love the most is, is myself, you know, and like, <laughs> and, and that goes back to even saying that there's still hints of trauma that's like, even me yeah. saying that I still feel selfish saying that, but at the end of the day, like you have to put the oxygen mask on first. You have to love yourself so that you have the energy and the capacity for others. And, and that's really what Kinergy does. And I don't know, movement, I'm all about, you know, somatics and and the, the energy and the infor- information that is held and stored within the fascia and the tissues mm-hmm. and the energy in our body. And so to be able to feel like it just kind of came through me and it was a, a form of healing for myself and expression yeah. and joy. You know, you can have two parts, the healing and the joy. I, I did want to share that. I wanted people yeah. to feel like they had something that was different and not in the head, but in the body. You know, Mm -hmm. our body can be our language for so many things. I mean, think about like body language. When people walk in the room, you can feel them immediately. Or Mm -hmm. if if you're slunched down, you can immediately see if somebody's not having a good day. That's body language. And our body is going to speak for us regardless. So let's Mm -hmm. get it cleared out (laughs) so it can have a clean slate and like an opportunity Mm -hmm. to speak truth versus limiting beliefs and self-talk and and guilt and all of those things.
1: Mm. And I think there's something so neat about this moment we find ourselves in where we're uncovering so many stories and systems and systems of oppression and patriarchy and and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff in society. And there is in movement, like when I think about your class, it feels very primal it feels mm-hmm. very, like, it taps into something that feels very old about humans. But it also, mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about you talking about your story and even your grandparents being ballroom dancers and your parents and the way that you guys grew up, like, it It feels on the cycle. And, of course, I'm drawing a circle and you can see it. And No one listening at home so sorry, <laughs> guys. But it's, like, if this is sort of, like, early human movement to, like, packaged, fancy 1950s, like, you know, song and dance people. Like, it feels like we're coming back around Mm -hmm. to more of a connection to the original and a shedding of some of the expectation. Mm -hmm. And even when you talk about as a little girl being in this essential, essentially a performer's boot camp learning to disassociate from your body you said like i was always in the fake tan and the nails like the ballroom performance mm-hmm. the the body makeup and the painting yourself and the sequins and the and the smiling all the time mm-hmm. it's so neat to me in this moment to as i'm listening to you to almost feel like i'm in my head animating this cyclical life cycle yes yeah yeah and I and
0: I think in my world it's very easy to see but it's in all worlds you know mm-hmm. and and I think just to go back to that I, it's this delayering I remember as a kid like there were all these like magazines and stuff let's do a makeover mm-hmm. and I was like you mean a make under let's do make unders wow. let's go underneath to like what was originally there and you know generationally it's like seven generations or 14 generations that we carry from our ancestors and so sometimes we are experiencing things that aren't even ours and mm. and we're living a life for for them for us etc so you know not a responsibility in a heavy way but a responsibility in an exciting way like how cool is it to be able to unravel all the things that are mother or our grandmother weren't mm. able to express and and maybe it's just because we are on that life cycle maybe it's our time to do that you know and yeah. i think that you can feel it in the air with everything that's shifting and happening in the world right now and the mm. you know the pendulum swing from one side to the other of like where we've been, where we're going, where it's going to come into the middle for a little bit. You know, the, the, the idea that we're constantly shifting and growing, but to come back to the roots of of where it all kind of started, I don't know. There's just something really clean and pure and like, again, clean slate about that, mm. that feels like you get to make that choice for yourself and maybe for the people that generationally were connected to you as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I think so much about all the work you and Derek have done, I mean, I know, you know, you're two of five, but you've done so much performing and hosting and dancing. And I mean, even the holiday programming you guys do, it's like, (laughs) I'm so amazed by you. Do you talk about the sort of similarities to what you've experienced as performing kids, but also what I imagine must be different for each of you? Like Mm -hmm. just because you deal with this as a woman and he deals with this as a man. Yeah. You know, um, we both had similar
0: and yet unique and very different experiences growing up, mm. but especially in London, we didn't really talk about it when we mm. were growing up because we were both in our own, own form of, you know, survival and we were kids and we were just doing
1: uh-huh.
0: and then as adult, but we, we always knew that we were there for each other. And then as adults, you know, early on in our careers, we were just hustling and continuing that performer mentality. And Mm. we worked really well together and we did a lot of things. And then, and then we did start kind of growing together as well. Like we went to a Tony Robbins seminar together and that Mm kind of like was the beginning thread of this like journey, you know, Mm. and like it kind of just activated something. And then, and then I will say though, I have three older sisters too. And it's like, with Derek, because we were kind of separated from our family, we will always feel that sense of connection, almost like mm-hmm. twins, a little bit. But I, I will say that over the last few years and the experiences that I've had, whether it's going through a divorce or a loss with my girls or depression, I've actually had more relatability with my sisters mm. in the last couple years maybe because of their experiences as well, but also as a woman that mm-hmm. I don't think my brother can fully understand either, even though he's one of the most incredible men and will sit and listen and try to understand and yeah. he's wonderful. But there is also something about just being a woman and and having that innate knowing that I've really connected with my sisters over over the last few years. and And I will say that, it's about seasons too. Everybody's Uh on their own Uh timeline and journey. And so sometimes I'll be going through a big growth spurt and my brother's not at all. And so we won't connect as much because we're not really going through the same thing at the same time, Uh but just, or the same thing with my sisters. And so it's about just like understanding what people are going through letting them do their thing loving and supporting even yeah. if you're not going through it at the same time and 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 that's been a big lesson over the last year for me <laughs>
1: yeah yeah i get that and i think i think when we're young we make these assumptions that like we're always gonna be like we're gonna be disconnected every single yes. day, and it's like totally okay. But when you grow up, that's not possible. It could be every yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah, you could have a season where you just don't see someone, and there's no, there's no harm, no foul in that. And mm-hmm. and I think real connections are the ones that you know that move like brainwaves that can um, ebb and flow constantly, together. flowing. Yeah, yeah. It's really. I think there's something so special about like evolving and and appreciating that and again it's interesting it, it feels to your point you said cyclical it feels like a rhythm it feels like mm-hmm. it feels like motion mm-hmm. um and and everything comes back to that kind of motion in our emotional bodies but our physical bodies
0: absolutely and our mental bodies are are energetic like our careers mm-hmm. i mean i i know for me this this I don't know, the last 15 years, basically being in Los Angeles, I had a really, really hot moment. I was hot and doing all the things. And then it dipped down. And for anybody listening to this, like life is in waves. So Mm -hmm. don't think that the best is behind you. Mm -hmm. You're just about to go on to that wave again and ride that wave. But just Mm -hmm. know that there are dips and ebbs and flows because one of things as a perfectionist you're like oh no i have to get back to that place i have to get back to mm-hmm. that place but i don't actually want to go back to that place i'm so excited about where i'm moving forward because of mm-hmm. the knowledge and the experience and the awareness that i have that i didn't have when i was yes. super hot you know and now <laughs> it's like i know i love that term but it's it's like an agency term by the way my agents are like yeah. you're hot and you're not and i'm like ew but yes. <laughs> um, I, know, I know, but again, years ago I heard that. Yeah. And so I've just adopted that. But for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to now actually decide mm-hmm. what I want to put out in the world versus falling into something. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much more, again, authentic power just a- as a woman of Mm -hmm. what I will and will not do, as well as what I'm excited and what I want to contribute to the world versus just what can I get? What do people want me to do? And you kind of had, at least for me, I kind of had to go into that little ebb, you know, and get to that flow again in a way Mm -hmm. that feels more like it's coming from me as I'm being pulled rather than trying to push and achieve it.
1: I really like that, though. You can't, you can't flow without the ebb. Mm-hmm. You can't have a peak without a valley. It's, it's not possible, and it is about physics. Like, the pendulum mm-hmm. swings. Totally. And I, I think you're right. I think for us and for anyone at home, if you can think about your, you know, quote-unquote lulls as the moments mm-hmm. where your slingshot is being pulled backwards. That's totally. You, you require that for motion
0: motion and like intelligence and wisdom mm. and curiosity. And mm. I mean, think about it when we're in ki- like school as kids, like we're in preschool, kindergarten, you know, we go through everything and then we go to work and then it, we get into this like lull, right? And we mm. stop becoming students and that growth period because we're working. So now maybe that that ebb or that lull that slingshot motion is just to be a student again and just to, yeah. like, learn and grow and, like, relearn and all those things to, like, put you into a a place of just actualizing what you've learned. And I, so I'm, I'm trying to look at these lulls or these dips as – Oh no, this is this is time for me now. The flow is kind of like a projection of all that I am and this mm-hmm. is kind of my inward moment to kind of mm-hmm. reorganize and and clear out
1: and charge your batteries. Charge up, baby. How where where did the when I think about that that feeling that internal fuel and and charge makes me think about the the aspects of meditation that you brought mm-hmm. into kinergy as well and there's such healing to be found in that space and not only in terms of emotionally but again physically you know and you mentioned mm-hmm. this earlier that that there's a science behind movement in the fascia mm-hmm. in in the cells in our body that can either be cleaned or be filled with stressed energy there's mm-hmm. we're in this moment where the science shows that we store, you know, energy experiences, even even our parents and our grandparents' DNA generationally. Um, you know, if they went through harm, it will it will edit DNA in latter generations. Mm-hmm. So there there's so much that we're learning about how our experiences really affect our bodies and mm-hmm. how our bodies can change or transmute our experiences. So how did you kind of wind up on a path to meditation in addition to movement? And and how did you pull it into the process of mm-hmm. kinergy?
0: Yeah, well, um, that's a great question. So I think meditation was always, like a lot of people, it was more challenging for me because mm. I, I'm an active, I love to move, I can't sit still. <laughs> but it was so imperative to really surrender my mind. And mm-hmm. I think that A busy body can be a busy mind sometimes and always thinking about the future. And so the stillness in the meditation was in just meditation in general has helped me to actually hear what's happening versus just Mm -hmm. going. And when you can hear, sometimes it's scary because you're like, wait, there's all these thoughts and all these emotions coming up and I don't know what to do with them. And so that's why with movement, it's a form of integration. So Mm. as those thoughts are starting to come through, if you do actually move your body, there is a sense of unwinding, a sense of allowing the energy to flow
1: Mm. with those
0: thoughts so that they can move so they don't feel stuck, like they're solid thoughts and And emotions that will be there forever. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of movement meditation was so powerful for, for my own experience as well as the people that experience Kinergy because you can drop into your body, get into that still state, experience and have these thoughts pop up. Mm-hmm. and then be able to silence them as you're moving your body to integrate them to release them to transform them and yeah. you know it it sounds it sounds woo woo or whatever but i love woo woo so um <laughs> <laughs> but but when you when you really do experience something that it's hard to articulate mm-hmm. that's when you know you've kind of found something because There's so much creativity in the unknown. There's so Mm. much discovery in the unknown that when you can't physically understand it, it's such a beautiful sign of a breakthrough. And so um, the idea of just putting yourself in a position to play full out and just like surrender to that, it's one of the hardest things to do, but it's it's one of the most, I think, imperative things. And with meditation, it comes with it.
1: Mm. Is there something... I'll say this uh, as a disclaimer, if you're driving,
0: but is there,
1: yeah, is there something that you would, by way of a little door opening, want to lead people listening through right now, like a 30 sure. seconds or a minute of something?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. So if you are sitting down or if you're driving, maybe just pull your car over, um, and, what I like to imagine if you can, you can close your eyes if you feel safe and comfortable to do so. And just take one deep inhale through your nose and then just exhale, but actually make a little bit of sound like <sighs> Sound is one of the most important things. It's a frequency that moves through our body to align with the energy so that it can move through the body. So one more deep inhale. Exhale with a little bit of sound. (sighs) And what I like to imagine is there's this jelly-like substance over my entire body. And all the energy or the experiences that I experienced from work, from earlier in the day, from a conversation, from my partner, from my mother... Um, children, whoever's energy, just allow all of that to just like stick to that jelly-like substance around your body. Either coming out from your body or from the air and the space around you attaching to that jelly-like substance. And now just visualizing that splitting at the top of your head and starting to drip down like a magnet. And as it's starting to drip down, you're feeling this energy and this magnetism pulling from the center of the earth. So it's pulling this jelly-like substance down. You don't have to do anything. It's just letting it drip down. Down your throat and your neck, your shoulders, your chest, down your back, down your arms. All the way through your belly, down through your pelvic floor and your thighs, your hamstrings, your knees, down through the front of your shins and your calves into your ankles, the tops of your feet, and it starts to wrap around to the bottom of your feet where it almost creates this ball right at the bottom of your feet. And just take another deep breath in, just to that ball of that foot, and then shoot that energy down into the center of the earth. Now, I could keep going forever, but the sensation, hopefully, that you're feeling is just like your nervous system calming down more into a parasympathetic state where... Maybe your body's even tingling a little bit or a little buzzing, a little lighter. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel as heavy. And the reason why I like to start with that is because it, it allows anything that's not yours anymore to just drip off and that mm-hmm. weight of everyone else, your work, the challenges, anything that isn't you to just melt into the earth and let, you know, mama earth, Gaia, just take that and hold that. And then getting into a place of calm stillness. And then I, and then I go into a whole other thing, but I really love to go inward and connect to my Shakti energy, which is my sexual energy, which is something that is so taboo and so uh, looked at as a projection to others. But it's really for our own power, especially as women, to, to own and to heal the woundings of, um, again, generational suppression of female power and mm. and creativity and expression. I talked to somebody recently that was really helping me own that feeling of feeling alive and that feeling of feeling numb when you go, go through deep healing and then trying to like activate, like, how do I feel like me and feel alive? And that is that, that Shakti power. So I always like try to imagine all that energy in my pelvic floor area, just mm-hmm. like circulating. That's where creativity happens. That's where we literally form a child, you know, that's where a lot of our, our power sometimes has been taken from us it's a metaphor in just the physical body, but it's also where we do hold all of our power. And most of the time we're so disconnected from that area of our body because it's attached to shame and Mm -hmm. guilt and violation, depending on whatever your experience may be. Mm
1: -hmm. Or if
0: you're a good girl, like to not be expressed fully because that's dirty or wrong. So to own that part of ourselves is one of the most imperative things that I want to help women connect back to. It it has been such a life-changing experience to own that energy within myself. And there's been moments where I've lost it or haven't connected to it and felt like it was gone, but it's not gone. It's in all of us. And to mm-hmm. feel that, there's nothing more freeing than to feel that inside of you. And that's, that's part of what Kinergy helps to unlock
1: mm-hmm. is
0: that innate given power that we have not accessed for so long.
1: Yeah, I mean, what strikes me is that you're really speaking about the power of the feminine. You yeah. know, even if, if you go to a museum and you go into the spaces to study art about goddesses, I mean, we're talking a cosmic kind of energy, to your point, mm-hmm. a life force energy. Mm-hmm. And I even found myself, when when you began talking about, like, the the way energy flows through the female body and and how powerful the reproductive system is. When you said sexual energy, I I felt that tinge of shame. I was like, oh, yep. what are we about mm-hmm. to talk about? And mm-hmm. I'm an adult woman, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and what I realize is that 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 life force, life giving energy, power has in a society created largely by men for men, been reduced mm-hmm. to. Sexuality, which then gets bifurcated into this Madonna horror complex where either you know you're one or the other, and no matter where in the spectrum you actually fall, because you're a person and not an you know not someone who falls under iconography, you're going to be criticized. And if you do, you will, if you don't, you will. It's like it's all a mess, we know. Mm -hmm. But if we could reclaim femininity, Mm -hmm. which inherently is powerful and sexual and sensual and life-giving and and also and creative and intuitive
0: and yes
1: and it's mm -hmm. you're right it's intuitive creative but I think it's really important to also reference as so many of us women are unpacking what these generations of inherited um, male dominance have meant for so many of us that sensuality doesn't have to be sexualized And femininity doesn't have to be sexualized. And actually that sexuality shouldn't be sexualized either. Even
0: sexuality doesn't have to be sexualized. Mm -hmm. And and it's the permission to feel that within yourself without feeling the need to either give it away or diminish it. Mm. And just to hold it and just to Mm -hmm. feel that inside
1: of you. To feel alive in your body, to like being in your body, to it—I think about it when I'm having my best day and I'm walking down the street, and I'm just like, "This is fun." Like I'm walking with my friends is I'm fun. <laughs> I like this. That—that's like an owning of my body. Yeah. Rather than like feeling tight and short of breath and rushing to get to a thing, it's—it's it's a difference in a in a pretty major energy that I think can. Yeah. Make us feel happier.
0: Well, I'm not going to lie. When we first sat down for the beginning of this podcast, I was rushed because I'm with family. And I was like, I didn't get a chance to put my makeup on, all this stuff. And honestly, after we started talking, I felt comfortable. But even after that meditation, all of a sudden, I feel more Mm -hmm. grounded in this conversation in a way that I'm not nervous anymore. My body's open and free. And Mm. even that, even me, who I like, I literally do this for what I want to give to the world, you know, with kinergy and everything. I still have those moments as well of like, Mm. and I will the rest of my life where I'm not connected to that, or I am rushing around, or I am more connected to my doer than my beer. Mm. And, and now I've, I'm like, oh, now I can sit here forever. Should we start over? Just
1: get- <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so good, though, to share with people that no matter how together it looks like you may have it on the outside, you're figuring it out. And yeah. what a powerful reminder, I mean, even for me, of, oh, I could sit and breathe for one minute and feel different. Mm-hmm. Just one minute. I get mm-hmm. really stuck in this sort of, like, gamified, like, class pass not to you know hate on it it's great but <laughs> like I, I i do this thing where i'm like if i don't have an hour to go to a class or mm-hmm. to meet a friend for a workout or a something then i don't have time yeah. and well, you can take a minute to reconnect to your body mm-hmm. you can you know you can do 10 jumping jacks to shake up your circulatory system and like exactly. get some energy out and i I think that for me is a big lesson right now, not feeling like, again, not feeling like I have to have the perfect amount of time to do the perfect thing, because then (laughs) the irony is I never do it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. It's so true.
1: And one of the things I love, I mean, you're doing so much exploration and setting boundaries, praise a boundary. Um, Love a boundary. And, you know, I love a boundary and you know you've you've created this system that's been so transformative for so many people and you know I I see the messages you get that you share and I just feel so like emotional for the folks who talk about the ways that their lives are changing you know their their experience in their body or their stress or you know their time with their families is changing because they're connecting back to themselves And so it's like, ugh, there's this sort of highest ideal ability to create something. And then, you know, we're all also people who want to do stuff that's fun for us. So it's like you've created this movement meditation that's reconnecting us to our inner selves. And you were also like, I really like to drink wine and I'm going to do a wine company. And I was like, yes, because I also want that. I think there's this like... There's this thought that when you're growing, like everywhere you are is supposed to be so so sacred. Yeah, and, and it's like, and come on. Growth and, yeah, yeah, I also just want to like make a pizza and drink a glass of wine with my best <laughs> friend. So so how how did it happen? Tell me everything.
0: It's, it's, but I love that you said that because honestly, like in life as a woman, in growth, like I want to experience as much pleasure as I can, right? And like and that fun. could be that could be joy. That could be creating. That mm. could be sensuality. That could be expression. That could be growth. Like mm. I find pleasure in growth. Like I just, I want to have pleasure in my life. And I want to live a holistic life in the sense that I am conscious about what I'm putting in my body, what I'm putting out into the world, and I also want to enjoy and do everything in a, in a balanced moderate moderation. And with this wine company, I was like, you know what, we, we have had so many experiences and we've had so much sharing and intimate connections with our friends over wine. And, Mm -hmm. and there's, the artistry of it of the actual crafting and and making of the wine and just the the detail that goes into it and the craftsmanship
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: there's also what happens when you do share a glass of wine with your friends and the there's something nurturing and delicious and sensual about sipping that wine while you're expressing yourself you know mm-hmm. and i think that that was what was like man we just I, there's so much growth and healing on this side. Let's let's show the like the pleasure and the fun and the joy and the connection on this mm-hmm. side. You know, Kinergy's sort of it's it's self others world for sure. Those are our pillars, but it really is about connecting to self. Our wine company is like, how do we connect with people, you know? Yeah. And how do we how do we create that that relationship dynamic in a fun and expressive way? And mm. and Nina and I have been so fortunate that we have traveled and experienced really high luxury and wines but then have kind of had to stop drinking it for a while because I don't know if it's that you get older or what but like my body wasn't reacting very well to wine and I would the you know first couple of sips I'd already get a hangover and feel not great and so we were like how do we how do we continue this like expressive fun, connection, coming together, party celebration, while also not feeling horrible the next day. So (laughs) can we find a way to, we can't technically say a healthy wine, but like a way to make this enjoyable, Mm -hmm. but just better for us in the long run. And so that we can get up and, and do the things that make us happy. So, you know, it's obviously low calorie, low sugar, keto, vegan friendly, and really just trying to find a different breakthrough and white space in in the market so that people, they can feel like they can have both. It was what we said at the very beginning of this conversation, which is like, it's a duality. It doesn't mean that you, mm. if you're going to be this, you can't be that. It's like, no, this is all of me, all yeah. parts of who I am. But let's just try to do it in the most, like, sufficient and sustainable
1: way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I love it. I mean, you don't have to tell me twice. Look, I... The idea of breaking bread for me is synonymous with sharing a glass of wine. Like, my family's Italian. This is what we do. Oh, it's yeah. Like, oh, and, yeah. And and for me, very similarly to you guys, you know, wine became an even deeper passion for me all through quarantine because it was yeah. a thing I could do at home. I did a wine club on Zoom. I could have a glass of wine with someone on a FaceTime. It, like, it was the yeah. thing that let me still feel connected. And, yeah, I I really took a dive into learning so much about natural wines Mm -hmm. because I can't handle the way I feel the day Mm -hmm. after I have a traditional wine because there's so many additives and dyes and chemicals and things Mm -hmm. in those bottles that no one tells us about. So yep. I mean, really, this is just my way of saying I I love it and I'm so in.
0: (laughs) Well, even on my way to Nashville, after drinking Fresh Vine now, that's like all I drink now, I had a glass of wine on the plane on my way here. And oh, my gosh, I was feeling it so hard the next day. And yeah, I was like, oh, this is this is a good sign. Fresh Vine is crushing it. (laughs) You're
1: like, I think I did good here.
0: Yeah, we, we did pretty good. So,
1: And I'm curious about this because this is something you and I share. We love to tell a story because mm-hmm. we don't – you and I don't want to do something if it's not like, but this is why and it made me feel like this and this is what I like about it. And it has to feel good. It has to feel yeah. meaningful And mm-hmm. and – I think it's the storyteller gene, right, that we want to yeah. create things. And and whether it's something meditative or something, you know, pleasurable, everything comes back to story. Is it your love of of story, of the, of the living out of a story that is behind the production company? Like when you decided to create Canary House, did you just feel like there was a kind of story you wanted to tell that you weren't seeing out there so you were going to do it?
0: You know, oh my goodness. There's so many, so many reasons I started Canary House, but I think one of the biggest things, my, my grandmother got dementia years ago. And what was so amazing was that she, her short term was, you know, not great, but her long term was incredible. And she, she was quite. I, I love my grandma, but she was quite uptight in type A, you know, in my childhood, knowing my grandma. And when she got dementia, she turned into this, like, 16-year-old, like, vibrant girl. Like, she just—and yeah. she would—she just tells stories about during the war. And like when she would like, all the sailors would come up and she would um, have the rations and she would go get food and they would dance together. And she was so excited to tell all these stories. And what I was realizing was like, life is made up of stories. Life, life mm. is stories ma- made into memories. And memories are what you think you have at the end of your life, and mm-hmm. when I think about my grandma and that, and like just seeing that experience, I was like, I just I want to tell stories that mean something that uh, you know make people want to talk about that. And yeah. and for so long, I had you know I was a dancer, a singer, actor, producer, entrepreneur, but they all felt very separated. And when I actually created Kinergy, I I found this like innate through line and mm. that through line is self-discovery and identity and transformation and expression And so once I found that I thought oh my gosh everything I do has that through line in my production company I want to tell stories of identity and transformation and expression and really put things out into the world where people can see themselves and and be inspired to live their life in their most expressed way. And so with the projects that we have, that's that's our mission statement with Canary House is to really just tell stories of expression, identity, transformation so that others can really see themselves and and then go and live their life. And that's mm. what we're doing. And it's really fun because again, before what we were saying is like my my early part of my career, it was just like, what can I get to keep going? And what mm. can I fall into and who's gonna hire me versus Oh, this is what I want to put out into the world mm. and this is, this is what I think matters and is important and at least in my opinion and, and that's, that's what's going to be sustainable for my own passion and excitement mm. is to put the things that matter to me and that I think will matter to others as well.
1: I think there's such a, a beauty in ownership of your own story, of your own path.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've always been a producer by nature because my whole life I've been producing things, you know, and like organizing and figuring out how it's going to happen. And then just the details of, of what it is, whether it's choreographing something or producing a whole show. Like I just, I love the idea of creating something out of nothing or creating something out of like a pearl of an idea and seeing the magic happen in the process. And then I mean, I am I love a process versus even more so than the end result, but, oh, yeah. but then having an end result that can be timeless that people can really see themselves or be inspired by or relate to it or not relate to it all and then have a discovery to then learn something. And mm. um, that's just, yeah, that's just exciting.
1: I love that. I think it's so cool. I mean, There are so many things that you do and finding the through line in them, I think makes it make sense how you're able Mm -hmm. to juggle them all. But is there anything, when you think about what's next, when you think about the next wave, Mm -hmm. is there something that that you're looking at out ahead that you really want to do? Well,
0: career-wise, I'll say what you said about the life cycles. It's like I I spent a lot of my years in my own self-expression. And then over the last few years, it's about, about creating something to share with others. Mm. And then I'm feeling the desire to be expressed again for myself. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I wrote a lot of music over the last few years and I have some projects that I want to start acting in again and creating Mm. from. And so, so that is like, I'm just feeling, I'm not quite sure yet. And I kind of like hate and love this place of like unknown <laughs> i have no idea but it's it's really exciting cuz i'm i'm kind of just allowing my gut and allowing what is inside of me to just lead the way versus kind of having a set goal cuz i find that i've done that for so long and and it was great but that was more me achieving versus mm me being really in the present and seeing like, wh- what is my heart desire right now? What am I feeling that I want to create right now? So that's kind of where I'm at in my career. Like I I kind of don't know, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling my own self-expression wanting to be expressed. And then I had to do a lot of uncovering of like, do I want children? Do I want to be married? Because that's what I have been told my whole life and what I thought I wanted my whole life. And and then I kind of went through a phase of questioning and then kind of rediscovering my own idea of what I want. And I think that, you know, that's what I want still. (laughs) But I feel like it's coming from me this time, you know. So that's definitely on the horizon. I would love to, you know, have a family. And part of me is like maybe even live in Europe at some point and like raise my children in Europe because there's some really interesting parenting skills that are come from different cultures that I would really love to learn about. And mm. um, yeah, I don't know. I just again, just, I actually don't know, Sophia, like I literally am in a place of I don't know, but I I'm, I'm going with it. Mm. And and just allowing whatever to come, come in the moment and then like go with it. Cause I'm definitely, even though I say I'm trying not to be the achiever anymore, I still like to get shit done. I like to execute and I like to like, you know, have that result of accomplishing something, but it's, it's really the finding, the finding it right now. I'm, I'm in a big transition of life and I'm just kind of letting it, letting it take shape and, and doing what I need to do to stay connected so that it's coming from the most authentic version of myself.
1: I love that. And I think there's a real freedom in being willing to give yourself a moment. Mm -hmm. I never gave myself that either. It was work, 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 fill, fill, fill. Every free moment, I can take a meeting, I can read a script, I can do a thing. And to take a little bit of time to be in flow. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think really changes everything. And and what I'm hearing you say is that you want to find your way back to yourself, but with ownership.
0: Completely. And I mm-hmm. feel
1: that. I feel like finally this year, at least in this phase, because I'm sure there will be many more cycles to come. Yeah. We grow forever. <laughs> like in five years, I'll probably be like everything. I'm, I'm ripping it all apart again. But, but in this phase, I feel like I am... I am in real relationship to myself and real ownership of my life, my goals, my choices. Mm-hmm. And it feels really good. And, and you know, I couldn't be in this flow state if I hadn't taken a moment to be a little quieter before yeah. this year. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I, like it. I, I agree. And I feel really grateful that I have wonderful friends and my family that are yeah. just there and— supportive of me, Mm -hmm. not what I do or what I've, you know, what I have done or what I'm going to do, but just me. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's important. I feel really grateful about that.
1: I mean, that makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. I feel like you've essentially answered this, but it is my favorite question to ask everyone who comes on the podcast, obviously, is there something that really stands out to you right now, um, in your life, whether it's personal or professional, that feels like your big work in progress.
0: I'm a work in progress. My, you know, like the, mm. the connection to self and that ownership, what you just said. And I think just finding the joy, mm-hmm. finding the joy and the presence. because i I've, always been the, the one to try to like learn something very quickly and then relay it like what you said earlier as well. And it, it has not been an, a, an easy learning this last year uh, for me and it hasn't been quick. And so it's just my work in progress is just to like allow the time um, yeah. to pass without having to rush. And to figure it out so quickly, but to just be in it and to find joy in the little things, even if it's just 10 seconds in a day, you know, like just something. Um, And that sounds really simple. And I've said it to myself many times over the last however many, you know, years of my life, but it, you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. And Mm
1: -hmm. it
0: is about the little things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I always say cliches are cliches because they're true. Exactly. <laughs> That's how because they become a true. cliche exactly. because they're so obvious. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love it. Well, I'm just so immensely, you know, proud of you and all the work you do and, and the way you're willing to share and also protect and, and invite people along in the ways that will be helpful to them. So I'm, I'm excited about where you are and about what's coming
0: Uh, Thank you. It means a lot. And I'm just, I'm so grateful and proud of you for doing what you do so that we can, whether it's me or any of your guests that have been on here to be able to share and, and inspire without trying to inspire, but just by being. And um, I'm just grateful to have finally come on. Yeah,
1: we did it. Thank you.